0: The theme for the evening talk is what is an opinion, what is truth? It's very uh, easy to forget and neglect the very uh, radical voice of the, the Buddha's teachings. And for those of us who have uh, a deep love and uh, appreciation for the Dharma, for uh, the teachings, and equally a close relationship with uh, religious India, get reminded again and again of what a distinctive and rather unique voice and vision that was expressed. Sometimes we need reminders. One of the radical aspects of that was a genuine and authoritative departure from the past, from the voice of tradition from the voice of uh, religious authority which often has simply become a repetition of the old which is then given out Mm -hmm. spouted out really uh, in the present and religion especially has then come and claimed that this is the truth this is the word of God this is the absolute authority simply because it appears in a book, simply because it's been passed along from one generation of teachers or gurus to another, and somehow or other, you and I, as human beings, are expected to believe in something because of its history, because of its longevity, because a particular book states it. And the Buddha threw away all this, had little, little is an exaggeration, had no regard for any of it. And then he took another radically different step because he's interested in truth. He demoted the hierarchy of gurus. And so should we. And how easy it is that from the voices of authority, including us poor wallows who sit on the throne, and others, can be elevated into a position in which there is a significant gap in the relationship, and the gap reaches such a, a pitch that the fruit of it is one transfers authority to the outer, to the leader, to the guru, to the whatever. And somehow we get the idea, or too human, that truth is spoken out of the mouth. And then very easily and understandably, we then inherit the view and opinion And sometimes we're in a dilemma with this. Because if we look outwardly, we can accumulate a whole set of views and opinions, and we might disguise it as truth, call it truth. Or, and equally, we are told, we can be told, or we have to rely upon ourselves this New Age horrendous mantra called, truth is within you. Well, close your eyes and look, and good luck. (laughs) So we have this movement that goes on within us. We either give reliance to it through an interpretation of what was, or we give a reliance to it in what is outside of myself, the authority, the guru, in all the manifestations, or we give authority to what's arising within. And quite often, we can't stand this. How easily when we take up the position, oh, it's not my view, it's in the book. It's not my view, I'm just communicating my tradition. It's not my view, it's what my teacher says. Or, no, it's not their view, it's my view. It's my truth. Oh, yuck. And this moves around and around and around And how terribly easy, in the passage of time, it becomes conflict. And the conflict generates a culture and an environment of pain and anguish through our ideas of truth, of what is truth. We are a strange species. My God. In the looking and in the departure from all of this, as I mentioned, the Buddha took a very different way of looking at life. Freeing ourselves up, from dependency on tradition and religion and the book and authority, outer or inner, and gave encouragement to us in a very direct way to look at a situation in our life that is revealing itself. And we often translate this as here and now, being here and now, being in the moment, being with the situation. And quite often, we could get the idea that the here and now is something permanent or eternal. Not a chance. Not a chance. And the Pali word, the rather important this is Dite dharma Our whole life hangs on a very simple principle how we view a situation. Whole life is hanging on this little thread how we view a situation. And sometimes, we don't want to look at life like that. My God, no, no, no. Give me nirvana. Give me some ontological sense of beingness. Give me something really transcendent. Transcendent. Give me something out of this world, Buddha nature, true nature, uh, enlightenment. Don't just give me the situation in front of me. Anything but that. Anything but this. Dharma teachings provide a great service for human beings. They cut off all hope. but it couldn't have been kinder. He leaves us, the Dharma teachings leave us, with nothing but this. And it's no comfort. If life, which is to have no escape and no running away from it in some nirvana, some cosmic consciousness, some primordial being or some other metaphysical nonsense. If life is going to throw all that out and not even entertain the idea and have no capital letters in one's life, which is a blessing for all of us. Then we are truly left with just this. And then we are left with the view of the situation, ditte dame, the view of the thing, the view of the event, the view of what is being revealed. And I've got no hope, I've got nowhere else to go. this is it, but this which is it is not it. oh dear, oh dear I'm afraid as a human being I'm afraid to cut out and to give up and to renounce all my little outlets all those little spiritual comforts all that metaphysical language which they've been telling me for generations upon generations that I can reach, that I can get to, that I can get into, that I can escape to, that I can realize. And I say, no, 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 no. I don't want hope. I don't want comfort. I want to find out. In the face of the situation, there's something bizarre about it. And I think one of the most bizarre things about a situation is the function or the role or the deceiving activity of the I. I. The self. That pathetic little thing phenomena called me. And somehow or other, this I or self or me has got the idea that it's influential in events. One has to bow down to it as the great Communicator of massive universal self deception. It would be far better to come in here and bow down to the I and the me than bow down to Sid. Siddhartha. And the most apparent way that it shows in this deception is in two ways exclusively. One is the self believes itself to be the agent of events. The cause. I, whatever that is, which nobody has ever been able to show anybody, I have done this, I am doing this, and I will do this. So the I regards itself as the agent of the event. Hopeless, 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 hopeless thinking. And the other is as the receiver of the result. One or the other. Either it's the cause, or it's on the receiving end. On the receiving end could be he, she, they, that, did that to me. So the self is on the receiving end. Or, I did this to myself, and now I get the fruit pleasurably, or painfully. So I live in a world, there's a situation which is going on, the pathetic little I pops its head up, and it says, I am the doer, the agent, and I am the effect of it. Either others or a situation did it to me, or I did it to myself, and this is my life. Ooh. Ooh, Painful deceptive, deluded, confused, miserable, miserable way of living. Sometimes, I know it borders on the miraculous, we kind of are a little bit the outsider to the situation. We And there's a little sense, it might be rather vague for us, that actually situations are multiple in their arising, meaning different causes, different conditions, different events make something happen. Some of them we know, and one hell of a lot we don't know, that it's going on. We can't control it. Whole variety of events. And the self comes in and says, with some of it, I chose it. And some of it, I didn't. And then there's eruptions. Pleasurable, happy. Oh, I did this. Now I feel so great. Huh? How did... I start this, get to, I ended up like this. Who could possibly know all the events that took place between I started like this and I've ended up like this? Who could possibly say, but how did I start off like this? It's a, it's a mystery. My ability to comprehend is about as big as my little fingernail is on my whole body. It's a funny world. Nothing is like it seems to be. When we're not making too much of a fuss about our life and about the self, we can be extraordinarily happy. (laughs) When we're not making a fuss about our life and what's happening to it and where it's going, we can be extraordinarily happy. I had a meeting with um, the staff yeah. uh, yesterday nice N- nice meeting good spirits, good fun doing uh, uh, great uh, work and uh, service and the voice that one hears quite uh, often there's a situation in front of one this situation a family member is causing Significant problems to another family member. You've probably all heard this one before. One family member is a pain in the neck, probably more precisely a pain in another part of the anatomy, but anyway, we call it pain in the neck, we're English, and be polite. And it's causing an impact on another, and that's the situation. So in the situation, what easily happens in that situation, as it were, one starts to react against the one who's blaming, angry, or or manipulative, or whatever it is, the, 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 the baddie. And the sympathy goes to the other, who's on the receiving end of it, And the one who is on the receiving end of it, we wish to protect. And this becomes the situation, and we can't resolve it because there is a split down the middle. And what is the primary condition for the anger or the blame towards the nasty relative is because of the desire to protect the other. It's the same mindset as your president. Protect is the invitation to blame. The stronger the desire to protect, how easy is the desire to blame goes to what? To exactly the same degree. And we justify the one and we justify the other and we're split down the middle. This is the view of the thing. This is the view of the situation. And the species' life depends on the transformation of this view. Protect and blame. Just over at the road called IMS, they've had a pathol—I nearly said a pathology. yeah, I do mean a pa- <laughs> philosophy, but I mean a pathology really. <laughs> of protect and blame, and the outcome when that happens, wherever it might be—in a house, in a home, in a in a centre, in in a. Uh, uh, a, a situation one has in the place or in the institution, a, metaphorically speaking, a kind of uh, New Orleans—a mess, a nightmare: confusion, conflict, anguish, pain, and the ideology of protection and blame. It's a nightmare. And we get used to it, and we feed into it. And when we get used to it and feed into it, the dynamic of that situation spellbinds us. And even though we may not wish to, either by our not saying anything or by our saying anything, how easy it is, whatever it is in our life, feeds into it. Because we split the situation We've made a duality out of the situation, a fragmentation out of it, and our dear old self keeps justifying it. And if as a human being, you and I don't run deep and look into this, there is a terror in the present and in the future because of this view. Look at in the home, and in the corridors of power. There's no different. So when we're not running away into the metaphysics, when we're not having the underpinnings of ideological uh, beliefs, when we have no religion, I'm not a Buddhist, i oh, never, or carry all of that baggage, <coughs> then there's an opportunity in the teachings of the to look at the situation, and perhaps in that there are three features of it to look at. Three features. The first is what is the what is the projection that's going into it. If we want to know what liberation is, if we want to wake up in life. We've got to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves and that's always a tough one, of course. What is the projection that is going into it? What is emerging from within that is being dumped onto the situation to help keep it in the way I think it is? What is the projection? And if I'm split or torn, if in my perception of it I'm building it up into a problem, and I don't care what we're talking about, I mean, I don't care what we're thinking of, and I'm building it up into a problem, the building is the activity of the projecting. It is the blind spot. It is the inability for men and women to see very clearly because of we built into it and we've built it up and that is projection. And we either do it in a very nice, positive way. We build up this monstrous army of celebrities with all their neurosis. And we worship them like this so that we get nervous uh, uh, around them. We should hand them all a roll of toilet paper to remind ourselves and then that what we all have in common every morning. Or, <laughs> I mean it, <laughs> or the other which goes with it. We're not building people up with projection and idealism. We're doing the other, we're putting down. We can't see each other we just see the extension of our own mind. We're not with each other. We're not feeling each other, not living each other. What we're seeing is our own mind movement and thinking, that's what's out there. And the Buddha's not offering any alternative but to look into this it makes it radical, it makes it fresh, it makes it challenging, it makes it whoa, whoa, whoa. And the other, maybe on the cushion and in the meditation, but vitally important or well, two aspects. If I'm going to be ruthless and I'm not going to look in terms of or to cut, I'm going to cut through the projection. I really want to see, what is the actuality? What is it for me to see the bare actuality of the situation? And sometimes when we strip everything away, and we strip all this protection away, and reaction against away, or whatever the conflict is, maybe we'll see just more actually, more simply, but I don't think a human being could feel fully satisfied, I can't anyway, feel fully satisfied with just seeing bare actuality and giving bare attention to bare actuality, no matter what these meditation teachers tell you. It's no answer, it's no solution, just to focus and see, oh, just bare attention, oh, it's impermanent oh, it's unsatisfactory, oh, it's not me or mine. Certainly, that's a fact of seeing the bare actuality. But, is it fulfilling? Can one say, oh, I've cut through my projections about my stuff, or about the situation, or my situation, or my past, or whatever. I've cut through all the stuff, just see the bare actuality. Could we honestly put hand and heart and say, oh, I see bare actuality? Ah oh, nice. That's clear, finished, good night. Something this is the beauty of life, something in the event can bring out something of potential. There is a potentiality in every situation. Extraordinary potentiality. But we rarely give ourselves the opportunity to really sense it. I was just reading before I came in, uh, Ruby brought it as uh, a magazine. It's called um, Buddha Dharma. And they had an article in it called... Um, embracing conflict. And the reporter from Portland, by the way, um, um, interviewed a number of um, uh, teachers and Dharma centers and had some perceptions on the commitment that various groups, organizations, centers are working with conflict in various places. And When I uh, read it, I could, for the most part, appreciate the view and the perception. But with conflict, or with pressure, let's put it like that more precisely, as we all know with politics, sometimes the truth only emerges when there's pressure. We all know a massive amount of cover-up that takes place. So when men and women come together and say, look, we want to know what the truth is, there's some militancy there, there's some pressure there, and then the truth starts to come out, kicking and screaming because they're all trying to protect, keep people away from it, it, and it eventually comes out. It's rather similar in other environments and situations in which you and I move as well. sometimes the conflict is necessary and the pressure to bring something out more clearly. And I get concerned with our dear, beloved Buddhist world, which I love to bits. Well, nearly. (laughs) And that the Buddhist environment which I've spent my adult life wandering around for God knows why, has got itself into a strange framework of looking. I'm I'm speaking in gross generalizations. It's just a view. (laughs) Please remember. (laughs) And it's adopted a value system And I see it in lots of different places. And it has a value system which somehow or other, I can't understand why, but somehow or other wishes to have balance. Balance. A kind of accord between pleasant feeling, pleasant thought, pleasant perception, and a pleasant relationship with the others the dreaded others. And balance becomes the metaphysic. And with it, elevating it outside of the reality of things is a view that if there is balance and that our words, our linguistic framework, which has also become another big metaphysic, we get the words right with each other, we won't have any conflict, we'll be in harmony with each other, and life will be hunky-dory. Not a chance. Not a chance. Balance and taking the view of balance and having a balanced life and a balanced perception is the invitation to a crisis. It's an invitation to it. And all the wonderful psychologists and psychotherapists and counsellors and facilitators, and I'm involved in some of that, essentially Cannot stop no matter how much the struggle for balance from the emergence in the situation of crisis of conflict but out of it which I think is a very healthy aspect out of it can emerge out of the situation a whole new understanding the conflict has great potential if we can live with it. In the conflict is incredible potential. It's not all bad news. But we've got to feel the heat. And if you can't get close to the fire, well, stay away. Having been in a few conflicts myself, I might add. (laughs) Having been in the hot spot over a variety of situations over the years, I might add. IMS said enough of Christopher, and I got the elbow. Whatever reason you think it is, you're right. And... (laughs) They saw the same complaint. And then Gaia House saw the same complaint and um, Spirit Rock. And they all came to three different conclusions about me. One said, out. The other said, we'll make up our mind. We haven't decided. That was Gaia House. And Spirit Rock, bless its heart, said, um, we don't see anything here that's that bad. And uh, Christopher can come. With 227 rules, but anyway. (laughs) We'll we'll send this to IMS. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes, in the ordinary perception and view of a situation or a thing, the ordinary perception and view, we feel it's nice to feel wanted. It's a nice feeling to feel wanted. Oh, lovely. Spirit Rock wants <laughs> me. So far. <laughs> it may stop after the end of this talk, but anyway. <laughs> I think there is something profoundly significant about the feeling of being unwanted. So when two or three years ago, mm-hmm. the beloved guiding teachers of uh, Spirit Rock and uh, Jack and uh, Board of Directors and uh, Deliver, I you know, well, please come, Christopher. One level, said, you know, I'm very happy, one's you know, good friends, to be invited. I have to say, another level, not any deeper, but another level had a slight feeling of disappointment. Because it's such a lovely challenge to feel unwanted. (laughs) Because life wants us, and then it doesn't want us. (laughs) And I think the love, touched on it the other night with you, is an exploration which there is an appreciation of being wanted an equal appreciation, because it's true to life and a love of it, of the feeling and the knowing of being unwanted. It's a lovely thing. It's a lovely challenge. It's a great experience. In um, April, I was in uh, um, uh, Israel. I uh, absolutely love going there. I have to say, I'm, I'm actually I pack my bags days and days before I'm I go. I'm all kind of ready. I like the the buzz of the place. I pack my bags the night before I come here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, teasing, teasing. <laughs> And <laughs> and I was going um, um, to the Passover meal in Jerusalem with some friends, and actually with the mother of uh, Odelia. And uh, Odelia Weinberg is one of our Dharma teachers and teaches with us in Israel and uh, also uh, in India and has spent quite some years in India. So i are travelling in the car to this uh, the Passover uh, meal, and the the mother, who's a psychologist and was a few days later was on her way to some conference of analysts in uh, Rome. And uh, she turned to me in the car and she said, "The problem with you, Christopher, is you're pathologically happy." <laughs> <laughs> and I, so yes basically, and I had a slight flash of this more, more recently, when um, uh, a friend uh, uh, wrote to me, who's been in the Dharma for many, many years, who's organized many retreats, you know, he's a great lover of the Dharma, and he was complaining in his email, if I compl- quote fairly precisely here of all those goody goody people who control the we pass in our world oh, the goody goody people who run the we pass in our world and then he said to him, said in the uh, email I we never hear very much about your past, et cetera. And, um, and then he had heard from some friends or whatever that, I don't want to ramble on about this too much, um, that I had my, my good mother, who I love to, uh, to bits most of the time, um, had urged me for years and years since I got back from the East to write about this 10-year period in the East from 67 to 77. So I said, yeah, you know, anything for a quiet life. Yes, I'll do it. And that was in 1977. And she gave me all the diaries which I'd posted home, which were kept in my father's old wartime suitcase. And in this big bag of over 400 letters with a rubber band around for each year uh, there. And she said, here's everything you send home. It's all here, and, and why don't you write it? So basically, the, um, everything in the letters to my mother and father was uh, instantly forgettable. And all the juicy bits were in the diary. Diaries there. So I heard of this. I have not yet what year are we, 2005, got round to opening either the suitcase or there. So my dear mother, 85 years of age, in a retirement home, she doesn't lay a number on me because she knows better because if she lays pressure on me, then I get resistant. So she has to do the soft way to get round me. So she says, oh, Christopher, well, Chris, she says, Will you, you know, I'm getting old. You haven't started. You promised me before I died. You write this, this, your memoirs like that. So I—I was impressed with myself. Not very often that I am. I—I've um, done the te- first ten thousand words. Actually, uh, uh, started on it. And so this friend in the email said, "Christopher, you know, we—we we want to hear about." The pain that you went through and the struggles and the conflict and living in a monastery and you're only there for the first couple of years and the loneliness you must have gone through and the isolation and being in the forest and being in the cave. I about all, 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 the, all how difficult it must have been and what you must have gone through. And I thought, oh shit, I don't remember anything like that. <laughs> I had it easy. I loved it. I, you know, I, just, I was just reading an, an interview with, with uh, Jack, Joseph and Sharon in the, uh, uh, that tent we are in for breakfast. And, um, and uh, Jack was reporting how difficult it was at home, with his home life. And his father would come home, and, uh, and the magazine was very angry, and it was very, tense and difficult what a you know, troubled upbringing that he had I thought God don't remember that and as my mother commented or I commented to my mother when she said to me what's your memory of your upbringing I said well mostly you and dad arguing morning, noon and night Well, she said, it wasn't that bad. I said, well, if you ask me, this is my view. You argued, morning, noon, and night, yelling, shouting, slamming of doors. My mother spent all the money. My father didn't have any, and um, normal life. So I rang up my sister. And then my mother rang up my sister, who lives nearby her, my mother. She said to my sister, what's your memory of your upbringing? My sister said, you and Dad arguing, shouting—exactly <laughs> <laughs> the same report. And for some, in all this, for some, it all landed rather painfully. You know, and it' caused distress, and I got slapped and hit, and da, da, da. And some of us are so thick-skinned, it just water off the duck's back. And as my mother said, they would, would be yelling and shouting at each other and screaming fits going on about one thing or another. And I'd just be sitting there reading my book and doing my thing while it went on. So either I've, abs- I've been the most successful repressor <laughs> in the history of the species, or just blessed it didn't land. Situations arise, so I've got no great story of struggle through the path or great overcoming any crisis in my life, or I just don't have it. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so sometimes, in some situations, it's extraordinary when we look at ourselves what may affect one person very strongly in the short and long term, may not affect another. There are plenty of situations that we can handle extraordinarily well and we need to acknowledge that and be clear and appreciate that. And there are other situations which we just don't handle very well. And sometimes I and you and others, we blow it. We're foolish, we're stupid, we act irresponsibly, we're naive, and we get roasted. Fair enough. Is it possible for us, (coughs) pardon me, in the uh, fullness of the situations that arise to see the projections, to see the actuality, and to see the potential? Maybe we can, as it were, bring out the liberating truth of the situation. When we listen, or when you and I read, much of what we listen to and much of what we read is information. Much of what is said in the talk with you this evening is heartfelt information. Dharma teachings is not concerned with the preservation of religious information. It's transformation. It's transformation. What's, what's the sense of that? What's the a couple of people in the groups today were asking about inner inquiry. And sometimes in life, there is a question which is arising for us. And the question, may, whatever it might be, is of genuine concern, We wish to be clear about it. We wish to be to resolve it or to understand or comprehend it. We ask ourselves the question, and in our receptivity, on our cushion or walking up and down, the question and the situation and the actuality of it has the potential to wake us up, has the potential to bring about some ha-ha, some realisation, some discovery, which sheds a whole fresh light, these are all the words of the Buddha here, a whole fresh light upon an event. And the light which is shed upon the event is in the dharma more significant than the event. The event is a small thing. It's a situation. It comes and goes. But what does the event rest in? What else is revealed than just the event? What shines through it? What comes through? And truth, which is not an opinion, which is not linguistics, not a set of words, truth is that which enters into the event, into the immediacy of the situation and reveals it and transforms it in a way which is deeply appreciated. It wakes us up. It dissolves the problem. It enables us to see in a fresh way. And I can't construct the truth. I can look at a situation with another person and you and I can have all sorts of views and opinions around it. And we can come to an agreement about all our views and opinions. Oh, I'm glad you have the same view and opinion as I have. And there's a certain harmony in the view and opinion, a certain balance in the view and opinion about the situation. Truth transforms it. Truth changes the event in some extraordinary way. And the lovely thing about us as human beings, we can't own it. We can't have it. We can't carry it. We can't remember it. It just enters and changes. And sometimes, as you and I know, it just arises quite spontaneously. A life is going along, and suddenly something enters into it, And our life is changed for it. And it brings about a new vision, a new direction, a new way of looking. Truth has touched. Beautiful. And in a way, our love of silence and our love of stillness and presence is the kind of open doorway that enables truth to move our life. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings explore deeply the situation. May all beings come to awakening realizations. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes.